This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. Hi, everyone. We are coming to you on Tuesday evening, the 5th of December. We will wrap up episode 113 with a conversation with Fran Fraschilla of ESPN, longtime college basketball coach. He did the Gophers-Miami game last week at Williams Arena. I connected with him then, texted him. I can record him on Wednesday morning. So you will get episode 113 soon thereafter. So we will go notes heavy. We'll go notes heavy, then finish with Frischilla. We will potentially have a bonus scoop podcast later this week, depending on the timing, depending on how quickly I can get in front of a microphone and record something. The good news is I have Mark Coyle. I am sitting down with the Gophers athletic director for a while on Thursday morning. I will do it on camera, so I'll do it for the TV job for Channel 5, but I'll repurpose the entire conversation for an upcoming Scoop podcast. That will be episode 114. The question is, can I get it done before the week is over? I have some vacation days to burn, so I'm not in the office on Friday or Saturday And just briefly in the office on Sunday. So if I don't get to episode 114 on Thursday, I will do my best. I'll get to it next week. But do know that Mark Coyle will be on a future podcast. Also, Twins GM Thad Levine, whether it's later this week or next week from the GM meetings. Well, heck, winter meetings, not GM meetings. The GM meetings were in November in Orlando. Thad Levine, Derek Falvey, and a cast of many others from the Twins front office will be in Orlando next week for the winter meetings. Undoubtedly, the Twins will be active very, very soon. We'll get to some Twins notes in just a second. But again, here, episode 113, notes galore. Then we'll finish with Frischilla. We'll call that episode 113 and episode 114, either later this week or next week should feature certainly will feature mark coyle and thad levine at some point plus i'll track down jb bickerstaff who's been on the podcast before a longtime friend jb now the interim head coach of the memphis grizzlies although it might make more sense to track down jb after he plays the wolves a second time before the month is over plus i'll always have time for sam mitchell i was talking to him the other day so we'll get sam back on the podcast as well interesting that so many fans on twitter I know it's emotional after any Wolves game, but so many fans on Monday night yearning for Sam's return. They just can't stand Tibbs anymore. I just, I don't know if I fully get that. And Sam's my guy. Heck, I don't think Sam got treated the fairest, but I'm not quite sure calling for Tibbs' head at this point makes a ton of sense. In fact, we'll start with some Wolves notes here in just a second, but let me give some love to the sponsor of the Scoop Podcast, Running Tap, online running hyphen tap. Dot com Twin Cities Taproom Delivery. Running Tap is a local startup that delivers beer directly from tap rooms to you. People don't think about it, but beer in the liquor stores has been sitting around sometimes upwards of six months. For an IPA, for example, that absolutely impacts how that IPA is meant to taste. They deliver on Sundays. They deliver on Saturdays. It doesn't matter the day of the week. There is no upcharge, by the way. For delivery on Sundays, they have a number of local tap rooms that they will deliver from right to your doorstep. So you have to check out the website, running-tap.com, running-tap.com. And when you place your order, use the promo code, the scoop 2 the scoop 
0-2. That gets you $20 off your order as long as it's $30 or more. So your order could be $33. You get $20 off by using that promo code, the Scoop 2 Beer delivered right to you from local tap rooms. Check them out. It is running-tap.com. We first brought up DeAndre Jordan's name a number of episodes ago, whether it was 109, 110, I had said that a league source that I trust, his opinion, I value as much as anyone's. He said, hey, DeAndre Jordan would be an excellent on-court fit with the Wolves. He said, hey, Tom Thibodeau is a fan of DeAndre Jordan's. Heck, who wouldn't be a fan of Jordan's? All the things he can bring to the table. Yes, I get it, the free throws, although he's getting better at making the free throws. But bringing it on both ends of the floor, not always needing the ball. Heck, really doesn't need the ball. I mean, heck. Just sit there, you know, lob it up to him. He'll finish those lob passes. It's not like you need to run plays, though, set plays, you know, where he needs the ball in the post. He dribbles. He just he dominates the shot clock. I mean, Jordan is an ideal player for so many coaches because he doesn't need the ball, and he brings it on the defensive end. So he would be an excellent fit next to Carl Anthony Towns. He would be an excellent fit with the Wolves, but it's hard to come up with a logical match. But I see that now. The Racine Wisconsin newspaper picked up some steam on Jordan saying the Bucks have some interest, which I'm sure is true. I'm sure more than the Wolves have interest in DeAndre Jordan. I just can't say right now that there's any legitimate steam outside of Jordan having fans here with the Wolves, like he has fans in a number of front offices. Nothing is on the cusp of happening. I just don't see how you match up the two sides. I mean, I'll tell you this much. I heard the Clippers do like Gorgie Jang. So Gorgie Jang would presumably be a part of any package, but it would have to be much more than Jang. It would have to be the Oklahoma City first-round pick plus a lot more than that to make it work. It's just hard to find a logical match, and he would pretty much be a rental I suppose you could find a way if he's willing to take a discount. But if he's looking for the max, you can't pay DeAndre Jordan $34 million when he's 34 years old. He is a free agent after the season. Can you really get by the Rockets, really get by the Warriors by adding DeAndre Jordan? He would help, but I don't know if you're winning a championship this year or getting to the finals with DeAndre Jordan. We will keep you abreast of what's going on with that situation. you know. But as I said a number of podcasts ago, You know, there is interest, but it's just hard to find a match. The more logical name, or at least, you know, the one that makes more logical sense, Nerlens Noel. Now, I can tell you this much. Noel, because he signed his qualifying offer, can actually veto any trade, but he's not playing in Dallas. He's about the only guy that Rick Carlisle won't play. He keeps getting DNP CD, so he would welcome a trade to anywhere. Even a team that doesn't really use its bench that often, like the Wolves. But at this point, there's been no dialogue between the Noel camp and the Wolves. The Wolves would go through the Noel camp to make sure that he would say yes to any trade. That hasn't happened yet. So nothing is close. I do think the Wolves will be active, but I think it'll be much closer to the February trade deadline, not necessarily here in December. They talk about trades daily. They're on the phone just about daily, so anything could pop up, snap of the fingers. But right now, the Wolves don't feel as negative about the roster as many fans do. 14-11, and 11, what, sixth in the West, a win from being fourth place in the West. They knew there would be growing pains. 
Heck, Tibbs' history is he plays his starters a lot of minutes. Maybe at some point he'll start to play the bench more. It will help to get back Nemanja Bialica. Bialica should be back before the week is over. In fact, I'm actually surprised he's missed this many games so far. Six games and maybe counting, although there's an outside chance he plays on Wednesday night against the Clippers. He should be back soon is, is my intel. I'm just saying it's not as much doom and gloom internally as there is externally, but I'll continue to say that Noel is a more logical name to keep an eye on, not necessarily Jordan, even though he does have fans here. Nothing going on on Jalil Okafer. I've not heard Okafer's name attached to the Wolves one bit. One thing that's unfortunate, at least in my opinion for the Wolves, is that Drew Hanlon really doesn't work with Andrew Wiggins in season. I get it. The Wolves won everything in-house. They have a shooting coach in Patton, but hey, Wiggins is not making free throws. You could argue he could be better when it comes to the outside shot. Drew Hanlon is a machine. I'm biased because I like Drew, but just look at Jason Tatum. He's worked with Bradley Beal going back a number of years. Drew Hanlon knows what he's doing, but he's pretty much hands-off Wiggins in season. I just think Hanlon's opinion could help Wiggins make some free throws, but no sense that that will change anytime soon. We'll just have to wait until next summer when Hanlon can get his hands back on Andrew Wiggins. Justin Patton will play soon. I've been asked if he would play as soon as Tuesday night. I'm recording this at 6.15 on Tuesday, so before the Iowa Wolves game. My understanding is they want him to practice at least a few times before playing in a game. Maybe Friday is more realistic. If he doesn't play Friday, figure next week. But the Wolves' first-round pick is on the cusp of playing for the Iowa Wolves, coming back from that broken bone in his left foot, that surgery he had going back to the summer. It'll be good to see Justin Patton in game action. Forgot to note on episode 112 that Scott Layden, Wolves GM, was in Portland recently for that excellent event. He saw Duke, Florida, plus Michigan State, North Carolina. So, so many NBA prospects in those two championship games out in Portland like a week, week and a half ago. Also, the Wolves recently scouted Virginia Tech a second time. They have a pretty good NBA prospect. And the Wolves had a scout at the recent Oregon-Boise State game. All right, let's move on to the Twins in no particular order. actually just got a text message on this. actually just got multiple text messages. Gable Stevenson, the great wrestler from Apple Valley High School, future Gophers heavyweight, actually just texted me. He didn't mean to text me. He was asking me about something <laughs> regarding Apple Valley boys basketball, but he thought he was texting somebody else, so just had a funny exchange with him, so he was on my mind. But I was also going back and forth with someone close to Jeffrey Marte. Now, he's the... Shortstop, the Twins ended up voiding his contract. He was here mid-September, ended up failing a physical. So the Twins voided the contract. The Twins have over $3 million in international free agent money that they, well, they can decide what to do with it, you know, all the way up to like mid-June. It's not like they have to make a determination today. They would have used it to sign Shohei Otani, who we'll get to in a second, but Otani told the Twins no over the weekend. But anyway, the Twins are still in on Marte. They could re-sign him at a lesser number. I'm told Marte will make a decision sometime in the next 7 to 14 days, likely before Christmas. Jeffrey Marte will pick his new team, and the Twins are in that mix. They have not ruled out re-signing Marte to a lesser figure. On Kevin Maton, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right or not, he's the top international free agent that had 
his contract void when the Braves violated all those rules. So he was one of their 2016 international free agent star signees. He became a free agent because the Braves cheated. Major League Baseball said, hey, Atlanta, you know, we need to punish you. So he's a free agent. Other guys you signed in that class are free agents, but he was the top one. Anyway, the Angels signed him on Tuesday morning. The Twins had interest, but I'm told it never got to the point of them extending a contract. So the Twins have all that international money. He just wasn't a guy that they said, hey, let's give two and a half, three million dollars to. But do know there was some dialogue on him, but just it never became serious. On Otani, I'll say this much. Somebody close to Otani told me that the Twins certainly pitched something that made a lot of sense. The Twins always had Minnesota working against them, but when it comes to the front office, they know what they're doing. They are diligent. It was expansive, the pitch to Otani and his agency, Creative Arts Agency. It wasn't from a lack of effort, that I can promise you. The Twins' presentation, what they sold the Otani camp on, was legitimate but it was hard to overcome the hurdle of Minnesota. But do know the Twins front office worked their ass off to get Otani. In the words of one Twins front office official, hey, I'll admit he was part of plan A, you know, but hey, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't ready to pivot, to shift to other guys. But do know the Twins wanted Otani so badly they put so much work into the presentation. The presentation was rock Solid. The Twins are maintaining dialogue with a number of free agents. Hugh Darvish, Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn. I will continue to say that I think a trade is more likely than a massive free agent signing. I'll also say this on the Twins offseason. I will read an email I got from a prominent agent. An agent that has a number of free agents that the Twins have interest in. One of them actually signed already. I won't say who. But let me find the email. I should have had this ready, tip of the tongue. Sorry. Here it is. Okay. This is an agent. Again, an agent who represents a handful of prominent free agents the Twins have an interest in. Actually had one of his free agents already signed. The Twins had interest in that guy. Anyway, here is what this agent said. I can assure you of this. The Twins are committed to being a contender. They are doing their due diligence and have a plan. Minnesota fans will be happy in a few years. So the Twins are working very, very hard. I think we'll have some news here very, very soon. Will it be before the week is over? I suppose it's always possible. Is next week a little bit more realistic when all the teams are in one central location? Maybe so. I'm telling you, don't dismiss the trade market, whether it's Tampa, Cincinnati, San Diego, the Mets, the Pirates. The Twins have had dialogue with So many teams, they are open to so many different possibilities. Had another Twins front office official tell me, hey, you know, we're not provincial to any one guy. We're open to trading anyone if the offer is right. Now, are the Twins trading Byron Buxton? Highly unlikely. Are they trading Miguel Sano? Highly unlikely. But they are open to endless possibilities. On Sano, he remains in New York, still rehabbing from that surgery a few weeks ago. He will then shift his rehab to Fort Myers, so he'll spend a good amount of time in Fort Myers, eventually make his way back to the Dominican at some point this winter, but the next step in his rehab process will be in Fort Myers under the Twins' watch in the U.S. Now, the Twins do have the Dominican Academy where they have staff members down there, but in the Twins' perfect world, they are getting their way, Snow going to Fort Myers, 
before he goes to the Dominican. Aaron Boone, the new Yankees manager, was here about three-ish weeks ago. He had a very productive meeting with Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, among others. There was mutual interest in a front office position. I'm told that position would have been way more detailed than what the special assistants do, Michael Kadire, Torrey Hunter, and Latroy Hawkins. They were open to many ideas. You know, heck, if Aaron Boone doesn't take the Yankees job, I'm convinced he would have landed in the Twins front office. Again, Levine, Falvey, they are forward thinkers. They are innovative thinkers. They are very detailed Trust me, they are thinking of things that you are not thinking of. Continuing on the Twins, I should have mentioned this earlier. One of the prominent free agent pitchers, a source close to that pitcher, told me the Twins remain engaged, active, but no offer has been made yet. So that falls in line with me thinking because they haven't made a firm offer yet. As far as I can tell, they have not made a firm offer to you, Darvish, to Alex Cobb, to Lance Lynn, those top pitchers, Jeke Arrieta. That leads me to believe that a trade is more likely. Now, all it takes is one phone call. Maybe they do it in person next week at the winter meetings. We know the Twins think the world of you, Darvish. Trust me, the Twins don't look at the World Series and say you is done. Thad Levine still values you, Darvish, greatly. But do you give a guy six years, $120 million, when it might make more sense to give up a couple prospects for a pitcher that's you know, got two years left in his deal, maybe three years, something like that. I do think a trade is in the cards for the Twins. Now, who knows? Maybe they get you Darvish or Alex Cobb via free agency, then go the trade route for a reliever. But I'm just saying I would be surprised with all the trade dialogue that they're having if they don't eventually complete a trade for a pitcher, a pitcher on the major league roster at some point before spring training, more likely before the month of December is over. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Purple podcast. And then, you know, you get to the end of the game, and we have the same sort of thing. For some reason, and I have no idea why, maybe this is how they blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl, the Atlanta Falcons decide to kick a field goal, which is one of the worst coaching decisions I have ever seen in my life. With five minutes left, they... I don't know if they ran out of timeout. They must have run out of timeouts on the last drive, but they were getting grinded out on the other side. So they've got five minutes left, third and short, and they decide to kick a field goal that would still put them down in the game. Just a baffling decision. But you know what the Vikings did? They gave them no chance to to redeem themselves after that horrible decision. You can find the Purple Podcast on iTunes, Podcast One, or 1500ESPN.com's podcast page. Gophers football, what a fun weekend. What an enormous weekend. As far as anybody can tell at the university, this upcoming weekend is the biggest recruiting weekend in Gophers football history. 34 players will be on official visits. Their entire 2018 recruiting class will be here outside of Vic Veramontes, who was on Scoop Podcast episode 112. He used his official visit last week. Otherwise, all these guys will be here. A four-star offensive lineman from IMG Academy out of Florida, Curtis Dunlap, will be here. He decommitted from Florida. Miami wants him. Oklahoma wants him. There's a good chance the Gophers will get Dunlap. The Gophers 2018 recruiting class will end up as one of the highest-ranked recruiting classes in Gophers history, likely number one overall. They should be top five, top six in the Big Ten. 
I can tell you this much on a decommit they had last week. Tyrek Henderson, a cornerback from the state of Illinois, he'll likely end up at a JUCO. He's got some academic things he needs to work on, so it's not like the Gophers told him, hey, we're kicking you to the curb. He's got some things he has to work on, and the Gophers will eventually have interest whenever he does qualify for Division One football, whenever he can qualify to play football at Minnesota. But that might be a year or two from now. That won't be right now. Antonio Montero from Eden Prairie will be on campus this weekend. As of now, the Gophers offer is a preferred walk-on offer. Will they offer him a scholarship? That remains to be seen. I know there are some internal concerns about his size, but when you look at a kid who did everything for Eden Prairie, stud linebacker, running back, kicker, punter, had a 43-yard field goal in the prep bowl, incredible athlete. I do think Antonio Montero will get a scholarship somewhere. Air Force has offered, in fact. Illinois may offer soon. Iowa, Iowa State have some interest, maybe more so when it comes to a PWO, preferred walk-on, you know. But that's a name to watch. The Gophers would love to have Montero as a preferred walk-on. This is the time you start hearing about players needing surgery after the season ends. I do know of one defensive starter that is set to undergo surgery middle of this week. If I get permission here soon, I can disclose the name. It's just that time of the year. This player should be good to go by spring practice. This is not something that will keep him out, you know, anytime over multiple months. He'll miss some of the winter workouts come January and February, but this player has been around long enough that that is not that big of a deal. He'll still be around at the facility, be in team meetings, and so on. And I'm sure there's at least one or two or three other guys that will need some sort of cleanup surgery. That's what happens after a grueling season. Very demanding sport. By the way, when I say if I get permission, I don't want to burn this source. It's not worth burning a bridge on this note. It's not that big of a deal. It's a two to three to four month recovery it's not like it's career ending or anything goofy like that so i just don't feel like burning that source without him giving me the thumbs up to run with the name so maybe later this week or next week episode 114 i'll give you a name but just a reminder it's that time of the year the season ends that guys need to undergo cleanup surgeries after a grueling season also on the football front, a 2019 recruit the Gophers want badly, Quinn Carroll of Edina, the offensive lineman. Matt Limegrover, former Gophers offensive coordinator, due in this week, now coaching at Penn State, due in to visit with Quinn Carroll. And I forgot to note on episode 112, there were no scouts outside of the Vikings at that final game, the Wisconsin game. The Vikings actually had four representatives there, but no other NFL teams had scouts at the Gophers-Badgers game. We'll get to some Gophers basketball notes now. A reminder, Fran Fraschilla of ESPN, former college coach, will join at the end of this podcast. I'm taping this portion on Tuesday evening, the 5th of December. We will tape Fran on Wednesday morning, the 6th. Then we'll have the podcast posted on Wednesday sometime in the afternoon. On Gophers basketball, there were no NBA scouts at the Rutgers game on Sunday. There were a number of teams here last week. For the game against Miami, here is the list. Sacramento Kings, Oklahoma City Thunder, Memphis Grizzlies, Houston Rockets, Toronto Raptors, Indiana Pacers, Dallas Mavericks, Atlanta Hawks, Milwaukee Bucks, Phoenix Suns, Indiana Pacers, Chicago Bulls, Utah Jazz, and the hometown Wolves. I'll tell you this much. One scout said, hey, Jordan Murphy, it's hard to ignore 
the way he is playing, he absolutely has a chance to play in the NBA if he develops that jump shot. You know, so that's something that Jordan can work on, whether it's next offseason heading into his senior year, just work on that three-point shot. But Jordan is such a machine that he absolutely is now on the radar of many NBA scouts. So good for Jordan. Amir Coffey is still considered an NBA player by the NBA scouts I'm in contact with. And Reggie Lynch, I keep hearing, has an NBA skill, blocking shots. So Reggie Lynch will have a chance, whether it's in the NBA or overseas. Reggie Lynch absolutely will make some money. Nate Mason will make money playing basketball. I will say from the scouts I talk to, the NBA is a long shot. I'll never tell a kid, hey, you have no chance to play in the NBA. If Nate Mason continues to work hard, Go to the G League, prove yourself, hey, the NBA is entirely possible. But if he wants to make a bit more money, at least initially, overseas is more likely for Nate Mason. Richard Pitino and Kamani Young forgot to note this on episode 112. After they beat UMass and Alabama in Brooklyn, they stayed in the New York City area to see a 2019 guard, Al Amir Dawes. Goes to the same high school in Jersey as Jameer Harris. The Gophers have extended an offer to Dawes. Patino plus assistants Ben Johnson and Kamani Young were at Hopkins High School on Saturday for the breakdown event. They saw Gabe Kausher of DeLaSalle. They saw Jarvis Omerso of Orono. They saw Daniel Oturu of Creighton. Oturu was dominating Hopkins early in that game, then went down, twisted his ankle. If you want to see video of it, I tweeted it the other day, DWolfs on KSTP is my Twitter handle, at DWolfs on KSTP. You can see the video. I'm told by a friend over at Creighton, Oturu will be fine. This is not a significant injury. He will be back before the week is over. In fact, I believe they play on Tuesday night. Again, I'm recording this right before tip-off of games on Tuesday night. He may even be back on Tuesday night. If not back Tuesday night, back later in the week. Not a significant injury for Daniel Oturu. I was over at Columbia Heights High School last week. The athletic director is a friend, Antoine Harris. He's also the Howard Pulley coach, the main Howard Pulley coach. I'm doing a story on just the influx of Minneapolis, St. Paul, Twin Cities area players performing at such a high level on the college basketball scene. So many guys, you go up and down the list. Reed Travis, J.P. McKeera, Zach Lofton. Nuni Oma, just so many guys. I could sit here for the next 15 minutes rattling off names. Anyway, you know, Omersa played for Harris, for Howard Pulley. Harris was raving about Omersa, said, hey, Jarvis Omersa can make money playing basketball. He is an NBA player if he develops a jump shot. It's what we always said about Rodney Williams, right? That Rodney Williams, after a sophomore year, heck, if he had developed a jump shot, would have been a first-round pick. You know, he's got that sort of athleticism, but Jarvis has to work on that jump shot. That is something he has to work on. But if he does, according to Harris, he will make good money playing hoops one day. I look forward to chatting with for I was at the barn for the Gophers-Hurricanes game. It was as lively as I can remember it. And, hey, give credit to Miami. They have a couple NBA players. The Bruce Brown kid is a first-round pick. He was smooth that night. They ran some NBA sets, the pick-and-roll. You know, heck, Reggie Lynch fell for that a couple times. Help side defense was an issue. The pick-and-roll kicked the Gophers' tail. So credit Laranega, that Miami coaching staff, the Miami players for executing the pick-and-roll time after time but the gophers are legit they can play with just about anybody in the country and do credit reggie lynch he is not fouling so far this year maybe it's some luck the officials aren't blowing the whistle but you think about it reggie lynch has drawn more fouls so far this year than he's committed in that miami game reggie lynch only 
one foul. If Reggie Lynch can play 30 minutes a game, the Gophers will be plenty fine. They are a top three team in the Big Ten, maybe top two. Heck, maybe they are the best team in the Big Ten. They can be a very high seed come March. The Gophers have a chance to be a very special team this year. We'll go deeper on the Gophers coming up in just a few minutes with Fran Fraschilla. Let's just do a potpourri of notes, and then we'll get to Fran. On the Vikings, nothing going on on Jarek McKinnon or Case Keenum. Both guys are free agents after the year. The Vikings have told all agents, hey, we'll table talks until after the year. Heck, I can also tell you that's a two-way street. If you're Keenum's agent, if you're McKinnon's agent, you want to hit the open market. So they'll let this season ride out. It's been an enjoyable ride so far. This ride may go as far as into early February, playing in the Super Bowl in U.S. Bank Stadium. Super Bowl hype is starting to pick up. There was a meeting with a bunch of officials on Tuesday morning. Heck, there were 600 or so people in a meeting about the Super Bowl on Monday. Then Tuesday, some NFL folks did a media briefing with a number of reporters. I wasn't there, but my colleague Joe Schmidt was. He passed along a number of notes. He did tell me if the Vikings end up in the Super Bowl, they will be able to practice at Winter Park. As of now, the NFC team will practice at the University of Minnesota New Athletes Village indoor complex but if it's the vikings if the vikings represent the nfc in the super bowl they will be able to practice at winter park then the afc team would take over the university of minnesota the team hotels are both at the mall of america a lot of stuff will be located at the mall of america that is pretty much media central although commissioner goodell's news conference the wednesday of super bowl week will be in downtown minneapolis at the hilton justin timberlake's news conference will be thursday that thursday at the Hilton in downtown Minneapolis. Some other notes, Mitch Leidner, friend of the podcast, former Gophers quarterback, former Vikings quarterback, had a tryout this week with the Denver Broncos. He's had a number of tryouts. He's tried out for the Lions, go up and down the list. You know, teams bring in guys on a weekly basis, so he was among free agents working out for the Broncos this week. Congratulations to Jake Weinicke of Maple Grove, South Dakota State. He got an invite to the East-West Shrine Game. He's in New York City right now. He's a finalist for the Campbell Trophy going to the top scholar-athlete. Jake Weinicke, know that name. He has a chance to go as high as, I would say, the second or third round. Jake Weinicke of Maple Grove is absolutely an NFL player, just a phenomenal FCS wide receiver. Also, what did I write down here? What other notes do I want to get to? The Final Four logo, the 2019 Final Four logo, unveiled on Friday. Next week at Target Center on the 13th of December from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock. It's the first ever gala event, Lifetime Achievement Award for Rod Carew. I know Joe Maurer will be there, Justin Morneau. It's this new awards deal, this gala It's just another excuse for a bunch of sports luminaries to gather. I know if some Vikings players can make it, they'll be there. Some wild players as well. There are nine Minnesotans among the preliminary roster for the U.S. World Juniors team. Bob Motzko of St. Cloud State, the coach. Among the names, Ryan Paling of Lakeville. He plays for St. Cloud State. Riley Tufty of Blaine. He plays for UMD. And Gophers, Casey Middlestat and Ryan Lingren. Lingren was on the team last year. Forgot to mention as I'm looking at my scribbled notes, David Morgan should be good to go for the Carolina game. David Morgan got hurt early in the Atlanta game. Really good blocking tight end for the Vikings. Entered the concussion protocol, but he has made good progress. He should be good later this week. By the way, he has a new agent. Not a new agency, but his old agent decided to leave the business. So David Morgan has a new agent. 
I also have written down Nick Rogers, the news that he is leaving Minnesota United. Chris Wright, now the boss. Chris actually was going to retire after a year or maybe two more with the Wolves, but then he had a chance to come full circle, started in soccer, now gets to finish his professional career in soccer. I know that Chris is working on a television deal for next year with Fox Sports North. That is their ideal TV partner. Also, I heard that they wanted to add around 5,000 more seats to the new stadium there, 94 and Snelling, but the cost was prohibitive. We were talking millions, tens of millions of dollars just to add around 5,000 more seats. But they feel like, hey, if they got to twenty-five or even 30,000 capacity, that they would sell out the stadium. So they feel real confident about selling out the current setup of the stadium around 20,000 seats. We'll get to Frischilla in just a bit, but a surprise guest. We love having Jamal Crawford on the podcast. I have a chance to tape him here on Tuesday late evening. Jamal back in one of his former team's locations, Los Angeles, played a handful of years for the L.A. Clippers, the Wolves at the Clippers on Wednesday night. So we will post this podcast after I talk to Fran Frischilla on Wednesday morning, but we have a chance to catch up with Jamal here on Tuesday night. So we will do that here for the next few minutes. Then we will get to Fran Frischilla. Let's bring Jamal into the conversation. Jamal, always good to catch up. We are at the 25 game mark as you head into Wednesday night's game against the Clippers, 14 and 11 overall. How would you, Jamal, evaluate these first 25 games? Uh, I think they've been pretty good. Obviously, there's another couple of levels for us to go to, but factoring a whole new group, especially uh, you know four of your top six or seven guys who who are new to the team and, and obviously working through some things, I think uh, 14-11 is not bad. Obviously, there's some games we may have slipped and let slip away, but I think we'll be better in the next 25 games. I mean, is there something to be said about it does take time to adjust? I mean, you're right. I mean, you think about the minutes you're playing. Heck, I think you should play some more minutes, but the minutes you're playing – the minutes Jimmy is playing, the minutes Taj is playing. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, and Jeff, I mean, we're talking about, you're right, four of the top seven guys are, are new. Yeah, they are, and that's just the reality of the situation. And, and, I mean, it could be worse than this. I've seen some teams start off a lot slower, you know, with a, a new group of guys coming to a new situation. So, yeah, it could be worse, and we'll take it. And, obviously, I think for us, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get better and better, and we don't want to be peaking right now anyway, but if we keep setting the – the, the right foundation, hopefully, you know, second half of the season, it'll be more familiar for you. Is it just a matter of working through some issues? I mean, I know you're pretty active on Twitter, but it's not like you're reading all the tweets. But, and this is recency bias, you think about the loss on Monday night to Memphis. People were upset that you guys lost to the Grizzlies, wondering about some defensive breakdowns. You know, you guys not getting the shots you wanted there at the end. But internally, when you look at 14 wins, 11 losses, heck, you guys win on Wednesday against the Clippers, Jamal. You're like the four seed in the West. So there's a lot of teams going through some things. Is that what you would tell the fans that, hey, just have some patience that you guys will work through what you need to work through? Definitely. And, and I mean, think about it. Let's say we were, uh, I mean, 20 and 5 right now. It doesn't mean that we'd be a four seed towards the end of the season. You know, 25 games in. Uh, we're working through some things. Obviously, we're still figuring each other out. Kids are still figuring out what rotations and combinations and things that work for him and he thinks is best for the team. So we're a work in progress. We really are. But it's 14-11 right now at this point, considering everything, I would take it. How would you evaluate your role so far? Uh, that's a good question. It's, it's, still, it's still evolving, I believe. I honestly believe that. I mean, uh, obviously any competitor wants to be out there you know, more and playing 
but Tibbs is new for him, you know. And it was it's interesting because when I got with Doc Rivers, he told me he had never coached a six man a year, so he didn't really. Uh, it was it's a work for him to to kind of figure out how to use me and how to you know implement me in the system. And now that's made it easier for a guy like Lou Williams to come because he had me. They're like, oh, okay, we'll just do this, this, and that. Well, you know, what I mean, it's, it's a lot easier. With Tibbs, I'm probably his first guy like that. You know, he's had guys that can score off the bench in bunches and things of that nature, but that's even different than kind of implementing a guy that's, you know, a six-man-a-year type guy, you know, as far as just rotations and minutes and things of that nature. So I think it's a work in progress. But I'm not complaining whatsoever, and I think as long as we continue to try to scratch out these wins, everything will be okay. I mean, do you not complain because there is open dialogue that you and Tibbs talk pretty regularly about how your role will evolve as the year goes on? Well, I'm just, I believe in him. I really do, and I think he knows exactly, you know, what he was getting when he got me. Uh, I've known him for years, just across watching the league and watching what he's doing, and him the same with me. So I just know his his, his whole thing is just winning, and he's just going to do whatever it takes to put us in his best position, and hopefully he'll continue to evolve. I said that you should play more minutes. I also think Tyus Jones should play more minutes. How impressed have you been by the play of Tyus Jones? Oh, Tyus has been great. He really has. I think uh, Gorgie's been great. I think uh, uh, Belly's been great. You know, I, I think uh, our bench guys, when they've had their moments, Shabazz had some good games. I think when they've had their moments, you know, they've taken advantage of them. But Tyus especially is always prepared. He's always ready. You know, he has no agenda but the team. Uh, he's a high IQ player, and it's always fun playing with guys like that. As being a leader, a veteran leader, do you go to Shabazz and help him through this? Because he hasn't played in some recent games, yet we know at times he can be a, a very helpful player for you guys. As a leader on that team, Jamal, do you go to him to put him at ease? Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, the thing about this is we're all brothers. Like we're all, and, and obviously we just got here, but we're all pulling for each other and pulling for team success. You know, and and every night's not going to be your night, and, and you got to understand that and just stay ready. You know, and I always stand here about just staying ready, getting his work there regardless, because there's going to be a time, you know, where he has to be called upon. He has to be ready. It may be one minute in the game when you have to get free throws or need a big rebound or, you know, need a, a big post-up player, whatever it might be, he has to be ready and keep his mind fresh. He's been doing an excellent job of that, being a true professional. Jamal, when you analyze other teams having so much success making threes against you guys, is it something – technically, schematically, that you guys can do differently? Or has it been a case oftentimes of the opposition just having a hot hand? Uh, I think it's been a combination of both. I think for us, you know, nobody's going to be more prepared than we are. Tibbs keeps us in a great position. and We know, you know, everything that's coming from the other team. So it's not about that. I think just putting a little bit more effort into it, knowing that that play, that three-pointer in the second quarter could have an effect in a two-point game in the fourth quarter. You know, just it's an urgency. Uh, would definitely be more of the main thing than I think anything systematically would go. You guys have four players averaging 34 minutes or more a game, Jamal. No other team has more than two. So your starters play a ton of minutes. I mean, have you seen guys wear down at the end of games? Like Monday night in Memphis, you guys are playing a back-to-back. I mean, that is physically draining on the body, is it not? Yeah, it is, but you have to find ways. You know, and and Tibbs, to to counterbalance that, he does a good job as far as, uh, you know, maybe we won't practice this day to kind of get your legs dirty. Maybe we'll just meet and watch film. You know, so you see a lot of minutes, and there's no denying that. But you also, what people don't see is the balance and how our shoot-arounds are used and things of that nature, where most people may go a little bit harder, more, you know, they may use their legs a little bit more. He's kind of backing off because he knows the 
those guys are playing a heavy load. Hopefully Bielitsa is back soon. How much have you guys missed Nemanja Bielitsa? Oh, we definitely miss him. Not just his shooting, but the way he spaces the court. Uh, you know, because you got logically, right? So if we if he's not out there, we'll probably come back with a starter, which is Cat. So we usually, you know, when he's out there, we kind of, the second year, whoever kind of plays through him. You know, and, and with us, we got to kind of leave our imprint and trying to uplift the group as well. But, you know, because we have a, only so many minutes to kind of make that, that effect. So it, it's kind of affected things. It's kind of a chain reaction, and we can't wait to get him back. Help me with this one, Jamal. You are from the free throw line career, 90-something percent? I'm I don't know if I'm that high. I think I'm right in between 85 and 90, I believe, somewhere in there. All right, well, help me with this. Why is Andrew Wiggins like 64% from the free throw line? His stroke looks good. Why can't he make more good. free throws? I, I always tell him it's more about he's thinking too much up there. You know, he has to stop overthinking it and just shoot it. You know, I think when you think about it, you can kind of block your own shot and, and, and <laughs> That's the worst defender you'll ever see, you know. So for him, I think he has to relax a little bit and, and he'll knock him down. What are the emotions heading back to play the Clippers in Los Angeles? I'm okay, actually. You know what? I think it was makes it a lot easier being able to see all those guys uh, just the other day, you know, in, in, in Minnesota. So that's not like the first time you see your guys that you haven't seen all year. And, you know, it will be different seeing the people in the building, obviously seeing the people that are, you know, working at Staples Center that I've seen every single day for five years. That would be different. But at least the coaches and players, I got that out the way uh, last week. So it won't be hard. What do you do tonight? Do you catch up with some friends on, on the off night tonight? Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, you definitely do that. My wife came, you know, so this is her first time back since we left nice. as well. And she loved it here. Our kids grew up here, and they spent all their time here. So she came back and probably just go to dinner and some friends and relax and then get ready for the month. Did you get to know the fanatic fan? Is it Clipper Daryl? Yeah, Clipper Daryl. Obviously, yeah, he was. He was. He's been there, man. I remember when I was playing for the Bulls, and it was like 2001. I could hear him then. So he's been around for a long time. So every Clipper player gets to know Clipper Daryl. The rumor is he's like close to turning on the Clippers. Can you believe that? Yeah, I think he's just frustrated. You know, it's been a rough stretch for him. I think uh, you know because he's seen some really good teams here recently. You know, and, and he was there when they weren't so good. So. Maybe just not one that even feel like it's possible to go back to that. So I haven't been following it that closely, though. I mean, it's been an interesting start, not just for the Clippers. I mean, look at Oklahoma City. So many teams. I mean, you consume games on a nightly basis. Has a lot of this surprised you, some of the starts that some of these teams have had? Yeah, it has. And OKC, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a perfect example. Don't forget in training camp. when You know, obviously Paul George went there and then they got mellow. Everyone's like, oh, my God, OKC. And they still might be that. But right now, they're going through the growing pains of working together. You know, those guys have all been franchise guys their whole career. So now, you know, who's going to sacrifice? Who's gonna, how are we going to play, you know, from night to night and kind of figuring out those things? And that stuff takes time no matter how good you are. I mean, it's a lot of that, too. Carl Anthony Towns and, you know, his limited shots, that those will come. I mean, I have to imagine there's some frustration. He was so used to shooting the ball so often last year, he's not taken nearly as many shots. Is that just – is that part of the adjustment process? Yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, uh, think about even me on a lower level, right? Like, I'm shooting way less than I have and playing way less, and uh, Jimmy's uh, scoring less, Wiggs is scoring less, Cat's scoring less. I think the only person whose numbers are, are similar is maybe Taj's and Jeff. Everybody else is, besides the bench guys, their bosses have came down a, a notch or two. So, But that's what it's about. When you're, when you're all about the team and, and you're really just caring about wins and losses, there's going to be some sacrifice, and, and I think, and I've been trying to tell Cat, when you're getting double teamed, that's a sign of respect. 
because they've been double teaming them hard, you know, and, and when you do that, you have to make the play and make your teammates better, and that's what he's been doing, even though his shots have been limited. I'll let you go after this. Did you realize how competitive Jimmy Butler is? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did, but I see it up close every day, so it's even more impressive. Like, I, I thought that, and that was a lot of the reason uh, why Minnesota intrigued me as well, you know, playing with a guy like Jimmy who's a winner and doing whatever it takes to win. And, but seeing it every day, night in and night out, is impressive, and, and I'm happy I'm on his side. So he never drives you crazy? I mean, that he's never over the top? Is there such thing as being over the top? No, 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 not at all. I play with some guys who, some stars who are, you know, I play with Chris, I play with Blake, I play with DJ, I play with all these guys. So, no, I think it's good for us, and, and especially a young group where you're trying to show the right way to do things. Jamal, always a pleasure catching up. Enjoy tomorrow night at the Staples Center. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Love talking with Jamal Crawford. Two notes, then we'll get to Fran Frischilla. Wolves personnel guy Brian Pauga on Tuesday night was in Phoenix for the Arizona-Texas A&M game. Lots of NBA prospects in that one. Lots of top NBA prospects. A reminder, if the Wolves make the playoffs, Atlanta gets their first-round pick. But the Wolves do have that Oklahoma City first-round pick. Now, the Thunder had a nice win on Tuesday night coming back to beat Utah. But the Thunder struggling so far. Maybe they pick it up at some point. We just talked about the Thunder with Jamal. But who knows? Maybe they don't. So maybe that pick that the Wolves got from Utah that is Oklahoma City's in the Ricky Rubio trade may end up better than a lot of us think. Also, the Twins will be at a showcase on Friday for a Cuban free agent outfielder. His name is Julio Pablo Martinez, 21 years old again, one of the best prospects out of Cuba. The Twins have all that international free agent money to spend. So we'll wait and see how Martinez does in that showcase and what the Twins think. All right, let's get to Fran Frischilla for a few minutes, a national perspective on the Gophers. Fran, thank you so much for your time. All right, the Gophers have now lost two of their last three games. If you think about the game they lost that you did at Williams Arena against Miami, losing last night to Nebraska, what's the adjustment like when a team now has the target on its back? I mean, the Gophers had a good year last year, but when you are now nationally ranked, you're a top 15 team, you always yep. have that target on your back. What is that adjustment like when you're not used to that? Well, it, it's uh, it's tricky, and I know it's something that Richard has talked about all off season. He, he talked about it with us. Uh, you know, he made sure his team was aware of the fact that things have changed. You know, they went from being an afterthought coming into last season to having an incredible run and this year high expectations. Um, I think they have to be careful – Darren, about um, what I call the psychology of the schedule. And here, here's what I mean by that. Hmm. Doing the Miami game at home without Dupree McBrayer, it was clear that he was missed that night, and it was also clear that Miami is a really good basketball team. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what, would he have changed things? Possibly. Um, then they turn around and they beat Rutgers, and then obviously last night they, uh, they, they lose to a red-hot Nebraska team who's – really playing for Coach Miles' job, quite mm-hmm. frankly. And uh, so they have to be careful not to fall into not just how good are we going to be, but woe is me as well. Because there will be some teams that are going to lose in the Big Ten, you know, at uh, Pinnacle Arena. And so the biggest, the biggest thing that Richard has to do is to keep everybody on an even keel because there's a lot of basketball left and a team is not defined by what they do in early December. 
Are you worried about their lack of depth? Yeah, now McBrayer is back, so you have Isaiah Washington off the bench. Eric Curry suffers a torn ACL in the preseason. They miss Curry a ton. They don't have a lot of depth. I mean, you think about the game you did, Fran. The bench didn't score, right, if I remember correctly. The bench did not score in the Miami game. Yeah, and you know something that's it's interesting, Darren. I did, uh, I did, uh, and you'll remember this great game opening night of the Big Ten a year ago. Michigan State came in right before New Year's, mm-hmm. and uh, Williams Arena was jumping. And I, I, the guy that jumped out at me is, uh, quite frankly, a guy that I thought might be able to play in the NBA in three or four years was Eric Curry. Yeah, he's good. And when and, wh- and when mm-hmm. he went down, uh, it, you know, in the off season, I was really concerned. And and yes, the bench the bench or lack of depth is an issue because you know in let's just take Isaiah Washington. Um, he's a he's to me a third down back in football. You know he's Darren Sproles in his prime. You you throw him in there, you hope he can go get you some buckets, and then you take him out and you get back to being solid with your veterans. And so when you're asking Isaiah to pick up a bigger load or Michael Hurt to do more than he's capable of doing. You know, you you are asking, I think, for a little much. So, absolutely, the, 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 they've got to be able to figure out how to not only get some something out of their bench, but how to how to massage the starting unit over the course of the whole season. Because, as I mentioned earlier, it's a long year, and you don't want to play five starters who are very good together. You know, thirty plus minutes each. Fran, what kind of X's and O's coach is Richard Pitino in your mind? Is he still evolving? I mean, I'm thinking about the Miami game. Miami kept yeah. running that pick and roll, and I thought there has to be an adjustment there. The Gopher staff should have made some sort of adjustment. They did not. I thought that was a tough night for the Gophers coaching staff. But overall, as an X's yeah. and O's guy, he can recruit. And, heck, yep. he's, he's 35 years old. I mean, he's not a finished product. But right now, how do you view Richard Pitino as an X's and O's coach? Solid, solid, but you can always get better. And I'll, and I'll tell you this: as someone that's not uh, not coaching at the moment, Darren, but but I, I pretty much live, eat, sleep, drink yes. basketball 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. I'm still learning stuff. Uh, I, I watch tape and see something on tape, and I go, "Man, I wish I would have known that 15, 20 years ago." So all co- all coaches evolve, and <clears throat> I'll have to tell you, um, the night they played Miami. Um, Jim Laranega has been doing this far longer than Richard has been and longer than I was as a head coach and, mm-hmm. or, and a lot of people. And I thought his, I thought his game plan was great because he took uh, one of the best shot blockers in the country away from the basket and made him guard, pick, and roll. And um, I am sure that after that game, Richard Pitino and his staff looked at the tape and said, we have to make some adjustments in case we get a team doing this to us again because everything you do is on tape and teams are going to try to um, mimic what works against Minnesota. So I'll be anxious to see next time they see a heavy pick-and-roll team what adjustments they do make because um, the professor, as I call Jim Laranega, uh, put on a clinic that night. But I would say overall that Richard is a good basketball coach for sure. And to your point, uh, evolving as a young coach. And I've been there. I know what that's like to be schooled by a veteran. Um, and it just it's part of the process of growing as a coach, especially when you hire a coach who didn't have the experience, Darren, coming in uh, that, that Richard had. You know, And uh, so he, he is a work in progress. But I, I like some of the things they do. Are there some Big Ten teams, Michigan State, that are capable of 
of running a good amount of pick and roll and and Fran, how what is the exact adjustment? Okay, so put your coach's hat back on. Yeah. If you need yep. to combat that team running the constant pick and roll, how do you defend that? It's a good question. It, it's a really good question. Uh, you know, in the NBA every night, Darren, uh, over the course of a season, a really good NBA team is going to have eight to ten pick and roll coverages. In college, because of the IQ of the players, they might only be able to handle two or three different coverages. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. What can we teach that the players who are 18, 19, 20 years old, 21, what can they absorb? Now, you can play zone. And as, as, I, as I rattle through the Big Ten right now, um, in my mind, as you ask me that question, I don't think that Minnesota will see the type of guards in uh, and, and mass, if you will, yeah. that Miami presented. Now, Anthony Cowan at at, uh, at Maryland certainly comes to mind. Maybe Tony Carr at Penn State. Um, you know, Tom Izzo's not heavy into pick and roll. Neither is John Beeline. Um, Iowa, you know, again, I'm, I don't want to go through the whole league, but I don't think they'll see the pick and roll uh, uh, strategy and level of play that they saw from that Miami team that night because – I counted at least two NBA guards on the floor that night for Miami and Brown and Walker. How many Fran power forwards in the country would you trade Jordan Murphy for? Not many, Darren. Um, The thing you love about this kid is not just the improvement, and particularly physically, because uh, in talking to Sean Brown, their strength coach, who I go way back with as as, uh, part of the Providence College staff back in the late 80s, uh, Sean said that uh, he told me that Darren is an, uh, I'm sorry that uh, Jordan is an incredible worker has got incredible leg strength and you can see it on display um, you know he's not he came in not highly rated as a three star and I, I would say uh, I would say there there can't be there can't be more than five six seven eight better power forwards in the country. And, and those guys that are NBA prospects are, are actually not as productive as, as what Jordan has been uh, to this point in his career. So very few guys I would trade for him. He has an incredible motor, and uh, it's nearly impossible to stop one-on-one. And, in fact, that night against Miami, if you think back to it, um, you know, again, Jim Laranega did a really good job of making sure that Jordan was not going to beat them uh, by taking the ball out of his hands and double-teaming them. I mean, overall, Fran, they're starting five is legit. I'm still a firm believer that this Gophers team has a chance to to do something special this year. I mean, you think about it, friend. They have one NCAA tournament win in the last 20 years. Tubby gets the win against Shabazz Muhammad in UCLA a few years ago. Then he gets fired after that. They end up losing to Florida. Tubby gets fired. Patino is brought in. Otherwise, this program hasn't won an NCAA game since, you know, the run to the Final Four in 1997. I think they can make a run this year. It always comes down to matchups, but I still yeah. love their starting five that much that even with the lack of depth, I'm curious what you think, if you think they can yeah. make a lengthy run, because I think they have a chance to make a nice run. Yeah, and and, 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 and to your point, they're, they're, they're playing three seasons. They're playing the non-conference. Obviously, the Big Ten uh, starts early uh, this year, um, and but then when they hit January, obviously, they're in they're, they're full throttle Big Ten, and then the postseason, and uh in the postseason where you have, especially in the NCAA tournament, where you have these ridiculous three-minute timeouts every four minutes, um, you know, depth, depth becomes a little overrated. Now they have to stay healthy, but I would agree with you. I think on a given night in the NCAA tournament, 
Um, their starting five, I think, can compete with, with just about anybody. And by the way, the guy we haven't talked about, who I think has had you know an understated but brilliant career, has gotten better, particularly as a junior and a senior, is Nate Mason. Oh, absolutely, and, yes. And to have a guy like that that can not only run your team but also go get 25 on a given night, you know, given who they've got around him, I think, uh, you know, bodes well for the Gophers. But I, I would say this, Darren, um, and I used to tell my team this, and I, and I still use this on TV. In December, in the first week of December, you are not going to be the same team you'll be in the first week in March. Mm-hmm. Some teams will get better. Some teams will get worse. But very rarely does a team stay the same. And so, it, really, it's incumbent upon Richard and his staff to figure out what they need to get better at. And it might be to improve some of the depth and, and develop an Isaiah Washington um, but um, they, 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 like everybody else, they have to continue to figure out ways to get better. I'll let you go after this, Fran. We could talk all day, but I'll let you go after this. What's your perception of, of Minnesota basketball overall, not just the Gophers, but the talent that comes out of this state? I mean, you think about you know a guy like Reed Travis having a lot of success at yep. Stanford, Minneapolis kid. J.P. McCura, yep. you know, heck, he's always in the news. Uh, <laughs> maybe not always for the right reasons, but J.P. McCura is a heck of a player at Xavier. Jericho yeah. Sims, I know you've tweeted about Jericho Sims. He's a Minneapolis yes. kid who's at yes. Texas. There are so many guys. McKinley Wright is off to a great start at Colorado. Brad Davison and Nate Reavers at Wisconsin. Zach Lofton is like third or fourth in college basketball and scoring at New Mexico State. He's actually a Minneapolis kid. There are so yes. many players that are not Gino, golfers that are Gino from the Crandall area. Out at, out at, uh, yes. Uh, you know, it's funny. When I was a young coach at Manhattan College in the mid-90s, there was only one Division One school in the state. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and the surrounding states, really, because as you remember, Darren, North Dakota State, North Dakota, South Dakota State, they were D2 schools. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, other than the U, <clears throat> these kids, and they are still going, you know, around the country, but I remember trying to sneak into Monticello, Minnesota, and, and signing, and, and, and we almost signed a big kid by the name of Nate Holmstrom, who later went on and had a great career at Montana State. I almost convinced him to go from the farms of Monticello, Minnesota, to New York City. But the point is, not a lot of people recruited the state of Minnesota and Minneapolis, St. Paul. Well, that's changed. And uh, you rattled off a bunch of names. Uh, uh, Reed's, Reed's older brother, Noah, played at Harvard with Siani Chambers, another you know, a mm-hmm. star player out of Hopkins, uh, and I'm, I'm familiar with those guys. And by the way, as a young assistant at Ohio State back in the, in the late 80s, I got my first taste of Williams Arena. So uh, to me, Minnesota basketball is, uh, on the high school level, is underrated. And I also think that given, given the fact that Minneapolis is a pro sports town, there is still a, a great deal of uh, support for go for basketball. I saw it as a young coach. I saw it back in 96, 97 when I'm Haskins, Haskins hung a 38-point win on my St. John's team in my first year, <laughs> um, and I've seen it recently. So uh, it's always fun for me to come to Williams Arena because I know I'm going to see great fans, and uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Minneapolis and Minnesota basketball. I mean, there's so much talent now here, Fran. A lot of kids think bigger than Minnesota. I mean, you think about Tyus Jones going to Duke. I mean, it worked out brilliantly for Tyus. Wins a national championship. Rashad Vaughn ends up going to a prep school in Vegas, so he ends up at UNLV. But both those guys were first-round picks. Both of those guys are from the area. Gary Trent Jr. at Duke. Yes. He'll be an NBA player. 
He's from the area, went to a prep school for his senior year, but I'm just saying there is so much talent here in the metropolitan area. Well, here, here's what I here's what I said on the air when, uh, and I think I said it on the air, but I certainly was thinking about this when I did the game last week. When I was at when I was at St. John's uh, in a in a city city rich with basketball, if there were ten really good players a year coming out of New York City, I knew five of them were definitely going to leave home. The other five just needed a reason to stay home, and, and I think that's where uh, Richard and his staff are right now. You know, um, the Jones, Tyus and Trey Jones, you, you knew they were going to Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, there's nothing there's nothing Richard could do about that. But to get in a mere coffee to stay, mm-hmm. to get the three kids in the class of 18 to stay, what they've got to do is they've got to figure out who they realistically can get locally, who has ties, who wants to stay home, who wants to be a gopher, uh, and who's good enough, quite frankly, to win at the top of the, you know, the top of the Big Ten. And... Um, they're not going to keep every guy home, but if they keep the guys that they should keep at home, I think that uh, that is a great foundation for them. And then going into New York City for Isaiah Washington or Green Prayer uh, to add to that roster, I think is going to be a good formula for them. Fran Funk Chat, let's do it again soon. I mean, heck, I could pick your brain on on your passion <laughs> for for the international game, international players. A guy like Nemanja Bialica, who's a good NBA player uh, here in town for the Wolves. One of my favorites. Yeah. What a good guy too. Yeah. So let's do it again in the near future, if that's okay. You got it, Darren. Always enjoy talking to you. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey. Yep. Former Manhattan, St. John's, and New Mexico coach, current ESPN analyst Fran Fraschilla. Lots of good knowledge. From Fran. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode 113. Be sure to support Running Tap, running tap.com. The promo code thescoop002 gets you $20 off your order of $30 or more. Thescoop002 at running tap.com. Thanks for listening, everyone.